0: It's really great to be with you, and I can't tell you what a good feeling it is to be a part of the first Ireland Leaders Conference. It's the fulfillment of a long ago dream, yeah. And (laughs) Seamus and Maria right down there, and I'm I I just sort of like, and then right behind them are the Burns. It's sort of like, it's hard to imagine that it would end up here from where we started. It's really been quite quite an experience. So, Vineyard's Legacy of the Holy Spirit. I got uh, 10 treasures, as it were, or 10 pillars or 10 points of the Vineyard's Legacy of the Spirit's power that I think we need to hang on to and not forget. Number one, we need to understand that for us, the movement of the spirit, the work of the spirit is rooted in the kingdom and the theology of the kingdom of God more than a theology of faith, which is really important, okay? So what John Wimber brought wasn't healing or even the spirit's power, that wasn't new. That had been around before going back at least to, you know, depending on where you want to mark it, you could go back to Azusa Street and the beginning of the Pentecostal movement, which had all that stuff kind of happening, or you could go further back. I mean, the truth is, healing's never left the church, ever. Um, You know, never mind the Schofield Bible, but, um, (laughs) and the dispensation, but the, the healing's never left the church. It's always been in the church, somewhere. It's... Because, you know, as you, as you walk with the Holy Spirit, you do find he gets under the doors and in hidden places where he's not supposed to be, and then does his thing. So he's, he, he's never left the church. But what John Wimber did that was new was to put all that in a different theological context. The theology of the kingdom of God that John um, Wright just so well described. And that's really important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it means that the work of the Spirit is inbreaking more than method. It's about the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God just breaks in unexpectedly when you don't realize it. And it's that all this stuff that happens is inbreaking. It's just like He shows up, He just comes, He breaks in. And it's not some special method. You know, like a couple years back, I had a couple uh, young pastors from another movement, separately, but came to me and asked the same question. Like, they said, like, we've noticed that uh, every time you go places, things happen. We wanna know what your secret is, what's your method? You know, like, what do you do? You know, like, is there some, like, special preparation, you know? And I, and I just laughed. And I says, oh, you, 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 don't, you don't understand at all. It's, it's not anything that I do or ever even really wanted. <laughs> it was what was done to me. I just, it was, something was done to me. And now I'm stuck with it. <laughs> it's just, you know, the kingdom came and grabbed me. And it's, it's in-breaking, not method. You know, and it's, it's uh, in-breaking, not faith. You know, one of the problems in the Pentecostal movement, I grew up Pentecostal, so I get to talk about them. You know, my father was an AG pastor, my grandfather was an AG pastor. So we just almost go, you know, the family line goes back there a ways. You know. you know, I went to church three times a week. I got saved hundreds of times, spoke in tongues when I was 11. I got all the Pentecostal credentials. You know, but the, always the problem was, it wasn't that they didn't believe in healing. They did believe in healing, but because they rooted it only in the exercise of faith, it always tends to slide off towards what you would call the faith camp, though you can always be healed if you only have enough faith. Because, you know, that's where it goes. And then, of course, what do you do when it doesn't happen? And that's the other thing that theology of the kingdom does. It gives us a theology for failure. So it means I can pray for my friend who doesn't get healed and dies, and I can get up the next day, and I can pray for somebody else again, and still expect the inbreaking of the kingdom, just as much as I did the day before, because I have a theology for failure. You know, it, it's not method. You know, somebody said, you know, don't you think we should have more faith? And I said, well, it sounds logical, except that I've seen really phenomenal miracles and, and almost every one of them happened when I had almost no faith. Like, They're like, you know, it's the last day of the conference and somebody comes up and they want me to pray and I'm thinking, please God, no. <laughs> Just let me go home and go to sleep, you know, or m- make it short, you know. Just get me out of here. You know, and it's like I'm in that place. I'm not like full of, you know, this is really going to happen. We're going to see this amazing miracle. No, it's just sort of like, it's a different kind of faith. It's the faith of obedience. It's the faith of you told us to do this, and I'm going to do it. Even though everything in me just wants to go home. And you pray, and then boom, an incredible miracle happens. Because it's the in-breaking, it's the kingdom showing up, just out of the simple act of being obedient. And there's so much power. So that is a really important legacy, I think, because it helps us do all this and keep our heads screwed on straight, and uh, you, know, get through to, you know when God's will isn't done on earth, as is in heaven. So that's number one. Number two, naturally supernatural. Like, that's a, it's a phrase that we use a lot. We're trying to be naturally supernatural, which in my church I always describe as it means try not to be more weird than you have to be. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the truth is we're all weird because, like, you have to be weird to end up here in a certain sense, you know, from the world's perspective, like, people that expect God to work. And intervene, that's weird in itself, but let's not try to make, make it more so. You know, let's just try to be natural, you know, and, and that means no hype. Like not 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 when you realize that it's the kingdom in breaking and that it's not method, then there's no point in the hype. It's getting everybody all hyped up and emotional doesn't do anything. You understand that? What's the point? It doesn't do anything. And in fact, it confuses the issue because then you're left wondering, well, was all that real or was it just emotional? Um, so it's sort of like, just go the opposite way. Uh, no, no hype, no, um, no particular man- manipulation. The first time I saw John Wimber, Invite the Holy Spirit, I was amazed because we hadn't sung like 20 verses of Just as I Am first. <laughs> he just stood up and said, Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Deadpan. And back in the day, you'd get these conferences, we'd have worship, he'd give the talk, and the room would just be filled, they'd be buzzing, electric with people like, okay, what's going to happen? He's, get, he's getting to the ministry time. What's going to happen? And he'd get up and he'd say, okay, let's have a coffee break. <laughs> he'd just call a coffee break, break the whole thing. Everybody comes back. The room is dead deadpan. No electricity. It's all gone now. And then, bam, the big stuff starts happening. And the the thing is, when you do that, it, it means people know that it's real. You know, I, I, a few years back, I ended up having a conversation with a son of a pastor from another country. And we, we ended, he had walked away from Jesus, walked away from the church, he was in Chicago, and we, we got together because he was struggling with depression. And I said, well, I've struggled with depression. You know, let's talk. I can maybe help. So we got together to talk about depression. He was desperate. But uh, we talked about, you know, strategies for dealing with that and avoiding kind of falling down the hole, getting intervention if he needed it, all, all the things that you would do. And then he just launched into a discussion about his faith he says, the problem was, it was always so emotional in the church I grew up in. And everything was so manipulated, I never knew what was real. I knew some of it was real, but I couldn't tell which. And he just couldn't deal with the not being able to know what was real. You know, and, and so like. One of the reasons, if you don't have any other reason for like hanging on to the naturally supernatural thing is just so your kids can live with it. You know, because you can't fool them. Like, they'll know. So, you know, you gotta, it's gotta be real. I think number three, it's mercy not works, which is another way of saying kind of the same thing, but it's like, there's this mercy thing, it's like, John's initial vision about what God was going to do was this vision of a honeycomb that was God's mercy that was just dripping all over all these people all over the world. And it was a picture of God's mercy coming and that the healing and the other works of the Holy Spirit were coming out of that mercy. And that means some really important things. Like when we pray for people, we're not trying to talk God into it. Like, a lot of times, you know, before I met the vineyard, I always tried to talk God into it. Like, he was the problem. (laughs) You know, like, if I just say enough of the right words or just pile up enough of them, I will somehow talk God into it and he'll release healing. And then I meet the vineyard and it's sort of like, no, it's just this incredible mercy that just is everywhere and all around us. And... You just, you don't really have to do anything except try. Just stick your hand out and get into it. It comes by mercy, not by works. And it's not dependent even on our holiness. Um, You know, we, it's just God's mercy. Number four, and this one is very important. For us, It's not about superstars. In the Vineyard, we're not trying to find the next superstar healer that's gonna fill stadiums. That is not what we're about at all. Um, That's not what John Wimber was about. We're not trying to find superstars, we're trying to build healing communities. Healing communities where we raise up an army of ordinary people who just in a very simple way pray for their friends and pray for their family and the people they meet and bring the kingdom to them. That's what we're trying to do. And if you went to a Wimber conference back in the day, you probably didn't see him ever pray for anybody Sometimes he'd get words and get people up front, but he would never do the praying himself. He wouldn't pray for people, you know, because he didn't want to be the superstar. You never, ever, 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 ever would see John Wimber standing there till three o'clock in the morning with a big old line of people waiting in a queue to get prayed for by him. Like, he wasn't going to put up with that. He He would go, he'd get off the stage, go out the back, and go back to the hotel and go to bed. Well, the rest of us stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Praying for all the people that were in the place. But he wasn't going to do it. Because it wasn't going to be about superstars. It really is about everybody gets to play. And you can't have it both ways. If if you make the whole thing about superstars, then you're not going to have everybody gets to play. You know, the, the point of the conference was never to have big conferences, actually. It was always to just equip ordinary people so they could go home and do it in their kitchens. So, John was always wanting to put it down on the low shelf. Put the cookies down low, he would say. Put the cookies down low. Make it easy for ordinary people. Because we're trying to raise an army of ordinary people. And, you know, other, it, it doesn't mean that superstars don't happen. They do, but that's not our strategy. That's not our thing. That's not our hope. Um, It's healing communities. And we just got to understand that's our real goal. That's our strategy. Number five, not entertainment, but equipping an army of ordinary people. You know, um, John was now, it was, he was always about equipping, never about entertaining. So I'll give you an example. I had just been in the vineyard like three months, early 30s, little church, and Tom Lember came to Chicago to do a big healing conference. People came from all around, from hundreds of miles, all around. And there was like two, or 3,000 people in the room and it was the first night, and there were like two or three other young vineyard pastors besides me, and he comes up to us, and he says, okay, guys, he says, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about power healing and power evangelism, you know, basic John talk about the kingdom, and then I'm gonna get some people on the stage, and I want you guys to just pray for them in, on the stage in front of everybody so people can see our non-hype way of praying. Can you do that? We said, yeah, sure, we can do that. So he gets to that point. Everybody comes, you know, it's a giant stage. The stage is as big as this room. And gets these three women, I think it was women, up on the stage. Maybe there was a man. I'm not sure. There were three of us. And we prayed for them. They went back to their seats. I don't even remember what happened. But then the room is like, okay, what's next? The whole room is just filled. What's next? What's he going to do next? And John, like, leaves the podium, walks way over, because we're way over on the side now, on the edge of the thing. He walks over to us, and he comes up to us, and he says, hey, guys, I don't know what to do next. Do you have any ideas? (laughs) In retrospect, I think he was lying just then. You'll see what I mean in a minute. I think it was a lie, but when he said, I don't know what to do next. But I didn't know any better. Because I, I had not actually spent really any time with him before, ever. So, I just said, well, I thought we should pray for people with thus and so condition. I named some physical condition that I thought we should pray for, people with that condition. He says, oh, that's a great idea. Go up to the mic and tell everybody that's what we're doing. <laughs> There's, well, wait a minute. There's like 3,000 people out there. But you can't like stop and have an argument with John Weber on the stage in front of 3,000 people. So there was nothing for it but to just do it. And so I go up and I said, okay, now we're gonna pray for people with this condition. And if you have that condition, get up out of your chair and come down front and you know the prayer team will meet you. And he comes up behind me, their, they're coming down. He comes up behind me, leans over my shoulder and he says, I'm going to the hotel now. You're in charge of the whole rest of the ministry time. <laughs> and I was like, before I could turn around all I saw was the his back end going through the curtain. He was gone. And here's what that I learned later he does did that to a number of people. I was not the only one. But here's the deal. He was willing to disappoint 3000 people to train one young leader. You get it? Because you know they didn't get the same degree of ministry from me that they might have gotten from him if he'd stayed. But he wasn't interested in that. It was about equipping, not entertainment. Ruthless equipping. Equipping. It's been a lot of fun doing it to other people. <laughs> All right, number six. The prayers are midwives helping people receive the Spirit's work. All right, so. Our job when we pray for people is not just to pray, actually. We're actually coaching them as we're praying to receive. People don't know how to receive from God. So you coach them, you help them receive. You know, it starts maybe in little ways. Like, a lot of times I have to tell people, don't pray. Let me do the praying. Just receive. All right. What am I doing? I'm midwifing. Okay. I don't make this baby happen, but I do know kind of how to help this along. And so if they pray, they're giving and not receiving. So I have to get them to switch modes. Pastors and leaders are usually the hardest to do, hardest people to pray for because they're getting them to switch out of giving mode into receiving mode is often difficult. So, you know, you help them. Or or sometimes you're looking at somebody and you sense resistance. Okay, you're watching and you sense resistance. There's something like, here's the, the Spirit of God is coming on them. But as you look at them, there's resistance of some sort. Your job is to find out what that is and remove it so that they can receive. That's your job as a prayer is to remove that thing. So that could be anything from all of a sudden they feel, they feel unworthy, oh well, wait, I can't get healed. I don't deserve it. And then you have to talk to them about mercy. It could be a demon you know shows up and tries to stop what's happening it could be a mental stronghold of some sort that you need to have a detour to deal with it could be unconfessed sin it, it you know there's a bunch of things it could be that are keeping them from receiving but if the spirit of god is moving then your job is to help them actually receive it because our job is not not only to pray, but to midwife this thing so that what the Holy Spirit wants to do actually gets done. And what he wants to do is change their lives. So, when I get involved with somebody, I'm not just gonna do, I don't don't do the superficial pass-through, although there are times at the end of the meetings where sometimes I want to do a superficial pass-through just to get home. <laughs> but we're after, we're rarely chained to change people's lives. And that means you gotta like stick with this thing and midwife it so that it all gets in, so that the thing that is being done actually gets done. And part of that is removing the obstacles, helping them receive. So that's number six. Now, This number seven is like really important. And I think it's something that we've almost been in danger of losing. And one of the first things that really struck me when I met the vineyard is that there is an understanding or a reality of the Spirit's movement or working that is physical and can be seen and can be followed. And I mean seen with the natural eye. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to have a vision. You just have to open your eyes and look. The very first time I saw John Wimber pray for somebody, he points to this guy and says, look at the Holy Spirit coming on this guy. And I thought, what? (laughs) First of all, like, what am I supposed to see? Am I looking for a light from heaven? Are we, are, am I looking for little tiny doves? What am I looking for? How would I see the Holy Spirit? How do you see the Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? What kind of glasses do you have? <laughs> and I later realized that it was kind of a shorthand, actually. It was, it was a shorthand for look at the effects of the Holy Spirit coming on this person. Because you don't really see the Holy Spirit. But it's like looking at the wind. If you go outside today and you say, look at the wind, you don't actually see the wind, but you see the effects. And if you stand in it, you can feel the effects. And the same thing is true with the movement of the Spirit. It's like you can see the movement of the Spirit physically and you can follow it and you can feel it. And that's why unlike everybody else, in the vineyard, we learn to pray with our eyes open. Because if your eyes are shut, you can't see anything. And if you can't see anything, you're gonna miss 90% of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And I got news for you, without the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. It's all Him and no you. So. If you want to look good and you want to have fun, follow him. <laughs> and do what he's doing already. And that, if you're going to do that, you have to see. And it was such a revelation to me to realize, like, I can actually see this thing. Like, it's physical. I can see it on people. So you learn to watch. You watch their faces. You watch their hands. You watch their feet. And you pay attention. Watch their ears. And you watch, because there are signs, because when the Spirit starts coming on them, it's real power. It's real. And, yeah, I better be careful. (laughs) (laughs) On two or three other occasions, I wasn't and I blew the sound system, uh, which is expensive, so. I think our pastor here would appreciate it if that didn't happen. So, but it's real power, and when, it come, when he's coming on people, they get hot, and they start to turn color, or they start to sweat, or they start to tremble just a little bit, or they start to stoop because it's like there's a weight all of a sudden on them. You can't see these things. You can look at their hands and you can see their hands turn red and swell up and start dripping. And you follow it and go with it. And uh, that will tell you where to go and how to minister. Um, it can tell you where healing's happening, through whom healing is happening. A couple years ago, there's this big non-vineyard church in Michigan that kind of started feeling like, you know, there's a part of the Bible we're not living out, the Holy Spirit side of it. And the guy had a seminary friend who told him, well, if you want to learn about that, you need to talk to Steve Nicholson. So I ended up spending a day with their leadership team, which is their staff team. It's a big, rich church. Their staff team was like paid team. Their senior paid team was like 30 people. And uh I had found out when I first got there that the assistant pastor, the number two guy in the whole deal, had injured his foot in an accident, he'd had surgery on it, they put metal in there, they'd done everything they could, and, but he was still in constant pain and they just basically said, you're going to have to live with it. So after spending a, an hour or so talking about healing and our approach to healing, he said, well, okay, now we need to do this, and so I said, well, we might, let's, 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 let's do him. Everybody knows him. We all know what his problem is. Let's just do him. It'll be easy. I mean, his foot hurts, so it'll be easy to measure. And so, uh, but I didn't just go pray for him. Instead, I invited the Holy Spirit and then I opened my eyes and watched. I was the only person in the room with my eyes open. They all had their eyes closed. And I look at the youth pastor, who's this young, scruffy-looking guy who looks like a homeless man that they just drug in off, <laughs> off of the street, okay, sort of like the worst best dressed person in the room. But his hands were red and dripping, I mean I mean, literally dripping off the tips of his fingers. I've It doesn't take too much to figure out. Like there's power on those hands. So I need to get those hands on those feet and watch what happens. And that's what we did. We got those hands on those feet. And in a few minutes, that guy's leg was going uncontrollably. He couldn't stop. Everybody's watching it. At this point, their eyes are all open now. Uncontrollably for about five minutes, finally it comes down and all the pain's gone. And I've talked to them numerous times since, and it's been two years, he's still healed. But the key is, there was somebody that God was putting the power for healing on. You understand this? The whole deal is, see it, follow it. See it, follow it. That's the deal. That's what makes it work. Also, when the Holy Spirit's coming on people, sometimes he's imparting spiritual gifts. And you can see what gift it is by where it's happening. So if you're praying for them and they get like a red mark across their face, or their jaw starts trembling, ah duh, it's prophecy or preaching. You know, if their hands, if it's their hands, that's healing you, almost always. You know, if, if, if it's their eyes, definitely visions, dreams. Um, if it's uh, their legs, you know, people start, their legs start trembling, or sometimes they start running in place almost, that's evangelism. You pray for evangelism, they're going to go bonkers. Because the thing, here's the interesting thing, is when you see what the Holy Spirit's doing and then bless it, it increases. It's all about getting, it's all about getting on his wavelength. So you get on, the, on his wavelength by seeing. Um, sometimes you'll see obstacles. Like remember the midwife thing? You have to see the obstacles. Sometimes the obstacles are, are made visible. In the, as the Spirit's coming on, Real power is coming on them. Their body starts to demonstrate what is the thing that's holding them back. So they'll, they'll maybe start mm, striving, never feeling good enough. Work, 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 work. If you pray against that, okay, you remove a big obstacle. They're going to receive from God. Um, you can see fear. You can see anger, other kinds of things. Um, sometimes demonic things, sometimes their hands freeze up and kind of curl up, and that's like unconfessed sin. Um, so you, you can see those things, and then you can, like, remove it. You can deal with it so they can actually receive the thing that God wants to bring to them. And... Uh, The other thing is this, if you're watching and you're looking for the movement of the Spirit physically, if you pray something that's just your idea, nothing's going to happen. But if you pray something that is the Holy Spirit's idea, it's going to hit. there's going to be a physical reaction. You will see it. And when that happens, pray it again. The exact same words, just pray it again. Hit him again. Like. All right. You know, if it lands, like, don't just stop. Like, do it again. Like, you're on the right wavelength. You're on the, you, you got the Holy Spirit's wavelength going. Like, ride that thing. Go with it. Pray that thing one more time. And then another time. Usually at least three. If, if, if you got it, go for at least three. You want to pound that nail home because what are we looking for? Change lives. See? So you, if, if, if you get it where it's happening, go for it like stick with it, don't leave it until you're sure that they've really got it, because you're trying to help them receive the whole deal. Um, so that is an important thing, and I just, I just gotta remind you, like, and I've had to do this at home, like, just like, open your eyes and start looking. You know, I, I've had uh, a few desert times Desert seasons, which everybody who's following Jesus gets. You all get to go to the desert at some point. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to take us into the desert. But in the desert, you can only hear the voice of the devil. And you have to operate out of obedience to the word. So you can't hear God. So I've gone through seasons where like, I couldn't hear God at all. Couldn't get any prophetic words. But I could still minister in power because I could still see and I can still follow what the Holy Spirit's doing, get it? And then, then if you get words from God, then that's just bonus, that's just help. But you know, you'd be surprised how much of it is physical and in the early days of the vineyard, we didn't actually have that much experience with prophetic, revelatory, prophetic stuff. So we weren't relying on prophecy primarily, we were relying on this physical thing and just opening your eyes and seeing. All right, number eight, the eighth legacy. Oh, we're good, good. Waiting is necessary. You have to be willing to wait. At the beginning, you have to wait just for the Spirit to come and for people to start engaging with him John Wimber would stand up, deadpan, invite the Holy Spirit to come, and then we would wait for the longest time. Sometimes, I remember the first time I just thought, like, I knew it. The Holy Spirit is not coming today. He's busy somewhere else. Because <laughs> I just was not used to waiting. But John waited, and then saw the Holy Spirit coming, and then saw some more, and then saw some more. So you got to wait. And a lot of times if you're in a group, like you're in a small group or something and you want to do the ministry of the Spirit, you invite the Holy Spirit to come and then you wait. And while you're waiting, you open your eyes and all you need to do is see the first one. So you're just looking for who's the first one that the Holy Spirit's touching. Physical observation and you just watch. And then you start praying for that one and then that will open the way to all the everything else you just one by step by step by step so you have to wait when you are praying for an individual you want to invite the spirit and then you wait don't jump right in and start praying everything right away wait 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 for the spirit's power because Praying without the Spirit's power and praying with the Spirit's power are two completely different things. So wait, when the power comes, you'll start to see on their body that the presence of the Spirit is coming, the power's beginning to flow, and that's the moment you wanna pray, the thing that needs to be prayed for. Whether it's impartation, you know, fill them with power for healing, or whether it's healing, speaking to the condition, you know telling it what it needs to do, pain be gone, whatever. You do it at the top, and it'll be like a wave. You get a wave, you pray at the top of the wave, one thing, not 50 things, they can't take in 50 things at once, just one at the top of the wave. Then it'll get still, it'll kind of, there'll be a sense of the Spirit's here, he's moving, and then it'll get still, and the the temptation is to stop at that point. Don't stop. Wait. Wait again. Because there might be another wave. And if you wait for another wave, it'll be more powerful and it'll take it deeper. And then you pray the next thing God will give you. While you're waiting, you, will, you listen to God. What's next? What's next? What's next? But you wait for the power to come to pray. So you're praying through the waves and you get another wave and it'll lead to another thing. And that's the kind of stuff that changes people's lives when you follow the Spirit's work through the waves. I'll tell you an example. Back in the early days, I think it was in Harrogate, uh, another woman and I went up to pray for this elderly lady. I thought she was elderly at the time. (laughs) It's more relative as I get older, but uh, she had to be at least in her 70s. And uh, up here, I think she might have had a neck brace on. And so we went to pray for her neck. And we invited the Holy Spirit to come while waiting to pray for her neck. And we prayed through the first wave, praying for the neck. And then we waited. And when the next wave comes, the lady next to me said, you know, I I feel like there might be some issues with your family, like some relational problems. Have Have there been relational problems? And the lady starts telling us, about how, yeah, she'd had all these conflicts with her daughters, and, and they couldn't resolve them, and it was, you know, causing a great deal of stress, and we started, so then we started praying about that at the top of the wave, the second wave. We're, now we're, we've gone from neck to daughters. We're praying for the daughters and, and the dynamic that's going on there, and she's sobbing, and then As that wave is finishing, another wave starts coming and she's, now she's acting, um, as the third wave hit, she was acting in a way that said, oh, there's something here resisting what God is doing. Her body started moving in ways that didn't feel quite right. And we thought, "Well, we better move her to a more private location. So we got her and her husband, we moved to this back room When we got back there, sat her down on the chair, and she started bouncing up and down, pounding her fists in her lap, and saying, I'm just a naughty little girl. I'm just a naughty little girl. I've always been just a naughty little girl. And while I'm standing there looking and thinking like, okay, where do we go with this? She falls out of her chair. She's now face forward, out of her chair, ends up on the floor and starts reenacting what for all the world looks like a little girl being raped. Under the presence of the spirit. So like, okay, I'm glad we got some women in here and they got down there and just prayed for healing and comfort and whatnot on that. And is that finished, it was really profound, lots of sobbing and crying and whatnot. Is that finished and there was a sense of peace, All of a sudden, all these demons started leaving her, just one after the other, just belching out, like about five or six of them, just one after another, and then finally complete resolution. Her husband had tears streaming down his face, like, we've always known something was wrong, just never could figure out what it was. And the the, the thing I want to point out about that is it was, you didn't get to the real stuff till the third or fourth wave. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, comes like a refining fire. He wants to set people free. And he's, if there's something that's got them in captivity, he wants to get there. And if it takes a sore neck to get, to get there, he'll, do, he'll work it that way. You know, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for your neck, but we're really after this. I, I, I imagine her neck was better at the end, but I don't think anybody cared. So you got to follow the waves. Number nine. um, When the spirit engages someone, aim for maximum effect. So, don't quit too soon. Like one of the things that we found early on was that If people fall down, okay, they fall down because they get enough power in their ankles, their ankle muscles go numb and they start tottering over. But if they fall down on the ground, they think they're done. They're not done. They think they're done, but they're not. They just got enough power to make their ankle muscles go numb. That's not actually very much power. and so we got to where we would hold people up. You know, like some meetings, you know, the pastor comes and pushes people, trying to make them fall down. We were trying to hold people up because we didn't want them to think they were done. We didn't want this to end too soon. We wanted it to, we wanted it to go for the maximum effect. So we would actually hold people up. Now, if their knees go, then you're stuck. They're down because you just can't hold them up. But if it's just their ankles, you can actually prop them up. Just grab a hold of them, prop them up, hold them up, and keep it going. Just, just so that it doesn't stop. Because you want to you take this thing as far as it can go. You want to ride the waves. You want to listen. You want to take it all the way through. And when, it's, when there's another wave coming, there's always a sense that you'll have of being unfinished. Like there's another shoe to drop. There's, there's something not... There's something else. You'll just there'll just be a sense that there's something else. So you just got to wait for the something else. Um, and when it is done, there'll be a tremendous sense of peace and completion that just says it's done. It's all done. Um, and the you this, you know the presence of the spirit will then fade. Um, another role we have uh, to keep it from stopping too soon is if. Sometimes when God is coming, particularly empowering for ministry or opening people up for emotional healing, there's like a breakdown process where like it, they're kind of getting opened up and they're sobbing and they're doubled over and and you know, they're really engaged with the spirit. When that happens, do not give them a tissue. We have the no tissue rule. No, no tissues. Because if you give them the tissue, what will they do? They'll take that thing, they'll wipe their nose on their face, they'll compose themselves and stop the whole thing. And it's not done. So I don't care if the snot's dripping three feet down to the floor and making a puddle. I'm not gonna give them a tissue until the very end when it's all done. Until then, no tissues. And I've literally seen this. <laughs> I, was, I was speaking at a youth conference uh, last summer, just this past summer. And it was a bunch of young people in their teens. And a bunch of them were praying. And there's one, one, one guy they were praying for. And you could see that there's this breakdown. God's really opening them up. And he's sobbing and somebody grabs a tissue and they're handing it to him and he's got it in his hand. And I said, give me that tissue. And I grabbed it out of his hand, literally. I grabbed it out of his hand and the minute I did, whoom, the power doubled on him. It just increased tremendously in that moment. Just opened it wide open. Um, There's a time for comfort but it's not at the beginning of the surgery. It's at the end of the surgery, after the work is done. That's the time for comfort. So we're looking for maximum effect. In the same way, you need to understand that in, your, in physical healing, it's really pretty easy to, to get rid of pain, actually. Um, you can get rid of pain, but that does not always mean that the underlying condition is healed. You've just gotten rid of the pain. It's sort of like, it's almost like that high thing that John was talking about. You know, you pray for people, they feel like this incredible rush. It's almost like, you know, you, a, a kind of supernatural narcotic almost that takes away the pain. But that doesn't mean that the underlying condition is healed. So you pray for the pain first... But don't stop. When the pain is gone, they're, they're, they're now much more open. They're receiving. They're ready to receive more. That's the moment then you want to pray for the underlying condition that's causing the pain. You're looking for biological, physical change in that moment then. If you don't, then it's like cutting the head off a dandelion. They'll feel better for a while and they'll come back in two days. So you've got to get to the... Underlying thing, if you really want something that's going to stick, which is one of the reasons why it's always better that these things happen in the context of local churches, because we can't fool ourselves there. You can have a, a great experience at a conference, but nobody like checks up on where you are two days later. But in in at home in the church, like you know, we're all living together, so you know that's part of the deal. So you we we want to like really work and pray for lasting change. And lastly, and this is just an important rule, not just in the ministry of the Spirit, but I just think in terms of leadership. Most of you are leaders. That was just one of the things that we learned in the vineyard was bless what God is doing. Bless what God is doing. Like, if you're seeing the Spirit moving, bless that. If you're in a room and God is doing something, bless that. If you're in a ministry and you see God is blessing this thing instead of this thing, bless the thing he's blessing. Let the other thing wait. Bless what God is doing. Go with what he's making happen and things will happen. So like, there's one point in our history of the church, we we get to this month and in the space of one month, We got 24 phone calls. What time is your Spanish service? We didn't have a Spanish service. (laughs) This had never happened before in 30 years. Nobody had ever called and said, what time is your Spanish service? In one month, 24 different ones call. What time is your Spanish service? Ah, I think maybe God's trying to tell us something. You know, bless what God is doing. We started a Spanish service. Guess what? Half of all our baptisms every year are coming from that Spanish service. Okay, so bless what God is doing. So it, even as a leader, you just look across, as a pastor, look across, look across your community, look across your neighborhood, look across your church, look across your small group. Just ask yourself, what is God doing? Where, where, is, where are things happening? Where's the response taking place? Go bless that. Bless what God is doing. And wonderful things will take place.